0: Hey, y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know him more. So in my spare time, I love working with my hands and there have been plenty of times I've built a wall like this, I've framed a wall. And maybe you've never done any construction at all, But if you look at this wall, there's something wrong with it. Can I get an amen? Right? I mean, like, this thing is out of whack. There's something wrong with this. There's not straight. It's not strong. You would definitely not build a wall and try to support a load on some kind of union like this. This is terrible. But someone could come up to me today in this day and age and say, no, actually, it looks fine. No, that's straight. I mean, those boards are straight. That's structurally sound. That's good like, no, I don't see what your problem is. I don't see what your issue is. To me, and the way I see things, that's perfectly straight, and there's no problem with that. I think it'll work just fine, Joe, right? And if somebody would say that to me, what would I do? I would pull out an ancient tool. It's pretty basic. It's called a plumb bob. Let me introduce you to Bob, right? And this is just a simple tool that's been around forever, and it's just based on gravity, and it hangs straight. There's no way it can't. It hangs straight. So when you build a wall, you could put this up against the wall and see even where something is really close to straight. I mean, this one you could argue is kind of straight, but you hold up the plumb bomb and it's like, nah, it's out of whack. Well, then you put it up to something. No, this is honestly, everybody, please, this is straight. Really? Like how far off is that? Right? And so you can't argue. The plumb bob is objective. There's no getting around it. It isn't based on my feelings. This is called gravity. Right? And it's objective truth that when you hold it up to something, it tells you whether something is straight or not straight. Right? Right? And so if you came across, you're working with your friend, and you built a wall like this, you left for a few minutes, you came back, and this was the wall they built. Like, hey, look at the wall I built. Doesn't it look great, straight, strong? You go, what do I do with that? Well, if I'm renovating a house, and I pull down the sheetrock, and this is what's behind the wall, what do I do with that? It's not plumb. it's not straight, it's not structurally sound, and if I leave it the way it is, when I go to do electric and plumbing and sheet this and get everything up, there's no way to nail things the right way. The only thing you do with something that's not plumb, not straight, is you tear it down. You really can't do anything with this. You can't pretend that it's okay. It's not okay. It's not plumb. It's not straight, and the only thing you can do if you want to be structurally sound and be able to move forward with a project is go, hey, we got to start this one over. This plays into the series that we're in right now. As we're working our way through the Bible as a church family, we're going through the entire Bible, and we're trying to pull out the major themes of the entire Bible throughout 2022, kind of starting in the beginning, going all the way to the end, and pulling out the major themes. And where we are now is in the section of the Bible about the prophets. Prophets are interesting guys, interesting people, and we're going to look at them today in this series. We're encouraging you to read through the whole Bible, because in 2022, if you could read through the whole Bible, I think you're going to find a level of of health and healing. So we're in this section with the prophets, and in the Old Testament of the Bible, there are 17 different prophets. They're all different starting in Isaiah, going through Malachi, they're all different, but they have some similarities that are true with all of them that are worth noting. Every single one of the prophets does three things. They have a vision of the future. They have a warning of judgment to come. And There's always a picture, a glimpse of God's restoration that's going to take place. So there is a vision where they're able to see something into the future, and part of what they see in the future is God's judgment that's going to come, and... God's restoration that's going to come after his judgment. It's almost like they're seeing how people's lives and behavior, if you play out this behavior for the future, this is what it's going to look like. And in response to that, God can't just look the other way. He's loving and gracious and kind. And he can't just go, well, I didn't see how you acted. Because of how we act, there is judgment that God brings honest people, you see in the Bible, but every time that happens and he disciplines his children, he also brings about restoration, some sort of beauty after the discipline. So we're calling this series, He Has Spoken, because God, through his prophets, speaks to his children and warns them, gives them clear teaching about what they're doing and where it's going to land them. And God still speaks today. He's still speaking through his word It's not whether God's speaking. It's whether we're listening. And what you're gonna find as we go through these prophets, we're gonna look at five over the next five weeks just to kind of give you a sample of this part of the library of the Bible. You're gonna look at five and what you're gonna see is these guys are breathing fire. I mean, it's hard, direct truth that's coming. And even though it's written thousands of years ago, it's super relevant for today. There's truths that... God is teaching through his prophets that that when I look at myself in the mirror and I see how I act and behave and I see God's standards, I go, I got to change. And if I don't change... There's going to be pain and problems in my life because every time I ignore God's standards, every time I go my own way and do what I feel is right, I get myself sideways and I bring pain and problems into my life. And God just can't look the other way when he sees that. He loves me way too much. And so he speaks to hold up a mirror to show me how I look and warn me of what's to come so that I can change and grow and be different. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Amos chapter 1. And if you're like me at all, there's no way I can find this book in the Bible. So get your table of contents out. Go find the A for Amos and look it up electronically, paper copy, Amos chapter 1. We're going to work our way through this passage, through this entire book of Amos, and hopefully draw some practical truths for ourselves. Would you pray with me? God, you're here with us. You are a way maker a promise keeper. You're always faithful and merciful. You're gracious and kind. You are the standard of truth. Your word is living and active. You want to communicate to people online right now, watching, listening. You want to communicate to people here on campus right now. We get so easily distracted. Would you silence distraction and help us to humbly see what is true and right? Would you bring about conviction of sin in my heart, even as I talk? Would you remind us that even when you bring discipline to your sons and daughters, you are loving and kind, always faithful and true? Use this time to change us and to grow us and to make us look more like Jesus, I pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amos chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehosh, was king of Israel, These words are coming in a historic moment. At this point in Israel's history, the nation has been so rebellious that they split in two. And now instead of one nation, there's two nations. They're so divided, and they have two separate kings. And their kings and their nations continue to rebel when along comes this guy named Amos. And it tells us that Amos is a shepherd that has a vision concerning the future. If you fast forward to chapter 7 of this book, we get a little more detail about Amos' life because it's curious to me, who is this guy? He says, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, so he's got no heritage in this prophet business, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. He's a man of the fields. He works with animals and plants. He's a blue-collar guy. It says, the Lord took Amos from tending the flock and said to him, go, prophesy to my people Israel. So God's taking this guy and giving him a vision and telling him, I want you to be my spokesman. He's a normal blue collar guy working in a field and God somehow, we don't know how, communicates to him, listen Amos, I got a message I want you to speak to the people. He loves God so much and he listens to God that he leaves his occupation and says, okay, if this is what you want me to do God, I'll do it. Worth noting, in Israel's history, things are going great. I mean, it's a time of peace and prosperity. Everything's good. Their pastures are green. Their mountaintops are green. Their animals are healthy. There's peace and prosperity for most people in Israel. Amos chapter 1, verse 2. Amos says, against this backdrop, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem the pastures of the shepherds dry up, and the top of Carmel withers. Now, if a prophet shows up to you and says, the Lord roars, do you think that's going to be a happy message? <laughs> hey, your boss is roaring. I mean, like, this, this, this isn't a good, this is Warning is coming. The Lord roars during a time of peace and prosperity and plenty. He says, the Lord roars that your pastures that now are green and lush are going to be dry and desert, and your mountains that are covered with greens are going to wither. This is a warning. Something bad is on the horizon. I want you to listen. I'm going to read... A number of passages from the beginning of Amos to the end of Amos. And I want you to pick up on why, as you just listen and let this truth wash over you. I want you to pick up on why Amos sees impending doom on Israel. Amos chapter 2. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and they deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. Amos chapter three. Hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel. The word of the Lord is spoken against you, against the whole family I brought you out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families on earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins, Amos chapter 4, hear this word, you cows of Bashan of Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness, this time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks, go to Bethel and sin, Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the Sovereign Lord. Amos 5, there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court. And detest the one who tells the truth. You levy straw tax on the poor and impose tax on their grain. Therefore, though you've built mansions, you won't live in them. Though you've planted lush vineyards, you won't drink their wine. So, for I know how many of your offenses and how great your sin. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Amos chapter 6 you lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches, you dine on choice lambs and fatted calves, you strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments, you drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. You're feasting and your lounging will end. Do you get a sense of what's going on here? Remember the Jewish people, just hundreds of years ago they're they're in slavery, right? They're being oppressed, they're being mistreated. They have nothing but pain and injustice and they cry out to God. And God hears their cry as slaves, and God answers them and powerfully rescues them. And God gives them his presence, and God gives them food, and God gives them water. God gives them everything they need. Then God brings them into a new land and gives them land and jobs and plenty. They have all they could ever want in this moment. Property, they're enjoying drinks, life is good, They're taking God's goodness for granted. And they're going through the religious motions, but their hearts are far from God. They used to be slaves. They used to be poor. They used to be broken. Now they live in luxury. And yet the poor struggles among them. They oppress the poor. The poor are in so much debt that they have to sell themselves into slavery again because the people are mistreating them. And when the poor go to court... For justice, Amos 5 tells us there are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Can you see why God is fired up? See, once they were slaves and they had nothing and they were oppressed and abused and completely impoverished. Now God has rescued them and brought them into a land of plenty and of goodness. Now they're fine, fat, and happy. They're drinking bowls full of wine, taking trips on the weekends to vineyards. They're doing their thing, living their life, fat and happy, luxurious, and taking advantage of the poor and denying justice to the oppressed. Fast forward to Amos chapter 5. Jump there with me. Amos 5, verse 21. The prophet, speaking on behalf of God, says this. To the Jewish people, he says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. He says, stop your singing. You gather in your religious moments and you sing songs of praise to God. You go through all your religious motions, your sacrifices. You come and do all the religious things, but your heart is far from God. You're not following him, honoring him, listening to him. Your lives are marked By your own standards, not God's standards. And he makes this statement in verse 24. He says, instead of all your religious sham and your songs and your sacrifices and your giving, he says, instead, let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. And I want you to look at this statement. And look at what he says. These two really important words in Amos chapter 5. Justice. Justice and righteousness. And God is saying, this are the character traits that should mark my people. My people should be marked by justice and righteousness. And why would God care about that? Not all the singing and the offering and the religion. He's saying, my people should be marked by justice and righteousness. Why? Because God is a God of justice and righteousness. The God looks at people and he treats them with justice. And he treats them with righteousness, which is just a big word for he has a right relationship with people, a correct relationship with people. That God is looking at his sons and daughters after all he's done for them, and he's saying, I've treated you with justice and righteousness. I've treated you fairly and equitably. I've been loving and patient and kind towards you. I've given you more than you could possibly deserve. Now you're taking advantage of me. You've gotten fat, luxurious, prosperous. And while you're doing that, you're abusing and mistreating the poor among you, people created in the image of God who deserve the same treatment you've received from me. And I raised you up. I took you out of slavery and made you into a people. Treated you with justice and righteousness so that you would then go and take that justice and righteousness to others. And instead, you've mistreated these things. It's just God's way of saying, treat people the way you want to be treated. Do you want respect and love? Do you want equity and fairness? Do you want to have a right relationship with God? And as those adopted into his family, he's saying to his kids, I've made you and remade you and rescued you for something totally different and so Amos is looking at these people and he's saying, there's going to come a day when all that you've stored up for yourself, all your wealth and your prosperity and your peace, all of that's going to dry up and go away. There's a day coming that all you've prepared for yourself and your wealth and prosperity is going to be taken away. He's warning them. Turn lastly to Amos chapter 7, Amos chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. And how exactly God communicated all of this to his prophets, we don't know. But he's making something clear to Amos and Amos is just repeating it for the people and this is captured in God's word for us today because God speaks. Amos chapter seven, this is what God showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuary of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. God's trying to get their attention. And to warn them and to speak truth to them, to sort of stop them in their tracks. And he says to them, I have treated you with justice every day of your life. And I have treated you with righteousness. I have been just and right to you every day of your life. I have treated you the right way. And all I have asked for you to do is for you to take the justice and righteousness I have given to you and for you to give that to the people around you. But here's what you've done instead. You've built justice and righteousness based on your standards. And you stand back at how you built justice and righteousness among people, among the poor, among those in the court system, and you go, Hey, this is just. I mean, isn't this right? This is the right stand. I mean, this is perfectly straight and strong and good and whole. There's so much integrity in this building. God's looking at them and going, your standard of justice and righteousness is crooked and broken and failed. And I've reminded you over and over and over again. And you know what you've said to me, people of Israel? You've said, no, it's just fine, God. It's good. And so he tells Amos, the prophet, pull out a plumb line and show them Show them that how they live is not up to my standard. This is not how I've treated you. I have been just and right to you every day of your life, and all I've asked you to do is to maintain that standard of justice and righteousness with the people that you live with and build a new family, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God on earth that dwells with justice and righteousness like that's in heaven, mirrored on earth right now. And you're playing games and saying everything's fine. Hold up a plumb line, Amos. And what do you see? And Amos goes, it's out of whack, it's out of plumb. And he says to him, Amos, tear it down. The only thing you can do when it's this out of whack after hundreds of years of telling you how to live and being patient with you over and over and over again and this is what you call justice and this is what you call a righteousness as you oppress and hold down poor people and mistreat them in the court system. This is what you're calling good. God says, tear it down. And you'd think that they would hear this from Amos and they would change. Because throughout the book of Amos, you hear God reminding them of what is true. He's not trying to hurt them. He's trying to warn them and love them. And so what you find in Amos chapter 5 specifically is he says to them, here's the solution. Just turn your eyes back to me. Just put your eyes on me. Seek me and you will live, he says to him multiple times in Amos chapter 5. Then Amos chapter 5 verse 14, he says, seek good Seek the Lord, he says to him multiple times. Then he says, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. In some ways, this is hyper simple. God's like, just treat people the way I treat you and do that in every corner of your existence in life. But they refuse to listen and they keep doing their own thing. And 40 years later, this is so sad. 40 years later, God brings another country, the Assyrians, to wipe them out. After speaking and warning them over and over and over again, they continue on their path, and rather than hearing the truth, the warning, and seeing the plumb bob of the standard, they go, what's the big deal? And so I think of myself, and I think of just how broken I am. I think of how much God has loved me. I mean, I am flawed in every way. My thoughts are flawed. My impure motives, my words, my actions, how I've treated people over 45 years of living on planet Earth, how I've treated some of you, how I've thought of some of you and people in our society and community. And if God gave Joe Hensler what I deserve, what would that mean? I deserve hell. I deserve to live under his discipline. I am a spoiled brat. I am impure, I am dirty, I am sinful, I am wrong. And God yet has always treated me with justice and righteousness. If he gave me what I would deserve, I would just be lost in hell forever. But he loves me so much that he gives his one and only son into this world to live on our behalf. And Jesus was perfectly just and righteous, never crooked at all, and goes innocently to a cross and dies and comes out of a grave alive so that broken, dysfunctional, dirtbag Joe can put his faith in Jesus and Jesus' righteousness now becomes my righteousness. Now by faith, I'm clothed in his righteousness and his righteousness alone so that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see the crooked and the broken and the beaten down. He gives me Christ. But why has he done this? Just to rescue me? No. So that I, in turn, can live with justice and righteousness towards my family and my friends and my nation, and I can bring the kingdom of God here. So I wonder. As you have lived your life, how have you treated the people in your life? Have you treated your family and friends with justice and righteousness based on your definition or based on God's? Based on what you feel is right or based on what is true and plumb and correct and biblical? The same way God has treated you, the person that's mistreated you and abused you, I get it. You can't trust them ever again, but do you use God's standard to forgive them, to treat them in justice and righteousness, or are you using your broken standard? Because God holds a plumb line up to you and me, not to them, but to you and me, to the person who thinks different about economics and politics and healthcare and immigration. Are you using their standard of justice and righteousness or God's? to to the person that that has been left on the side of the road by life for any number of reasons. Maybe for generations, nobody in their family has ever lived above the poverty line. And all you do is drive by with your system of justice and righteousness. You say to them, get a job. Instead of looking at them and going, what does God say to me based on his standard of justice and righteousness? To the person that's stuck in our correctional system, Are they just garbage? Is our justice system based on our standards that's crooked and broken, or is it based on God's standards? And if someone is in that system, how are we to treat them? Based on what we think broken and messed up or based on what God thinks? To the child that's had to leave their home because their parents are broken and struggling, toddlers and teenagers that are left to the foster system, does it matter, my system of justice and righteousness, or God's? And so you look at every spot along the way and I have choices to make over whether I am going to put my trust in God's system and I'm going to lean with God's system of standard of true and right or am I going to listen to my standard of feelings? Because when God lines up his standard against mine, what does he find? Mine's messed up and broken and if he gave me what I was due, it would be hell. But instead he's kind and patient And he gives me himself. And so when I look at my life and I look at how I've treated people and you look at the prophets and you hear this truth, it's hard. Because you know what the thing is? And you see this in the book of Amos? It's so easy for us as Christians to hide behind our Christian efforts. It's so easy for us to go, I sing and I go to church and I give to the church and I serve. I'm a Christian, as if that's good enough. God says, no, your words and your actions, religion, don't mean anything to me. I want your heart. Do you love people like I love you? Do you respect people like I respect you? Do you treat people with the same justice and righteousness that I treat you? You can sing whatever song and give whatever money you want. If your lifestyle doesn't love and serve and care about the oppressed and the poor, then you're out of line. You're out of plumb. And I don't know what he's going to do about that, but he's a good father that doesn't just look the other way. Maybe he won't use the same tools he used for the Israelites. Maybe he will. He's got every tool he wants in the tool bag to do whatever he wants, but he's not just going to look at his children and go, I asked you to be just and right, and you're pursuing a lifestyle that's not just and not right, and therefore I'm just going to look the other way. No. He's going to discipline his sons and daughters. He does it all the time. And when you read Amos chapter 9, what you find is even though God says, take the wall down, break it down, start over, even though he says that, when you read Amos chapter 9, you find that God out of that broken wall rebuilds something beautiful because he always, even when he brings about discipline, he always, always restores things because that's just his character. So I don't know where you are on some of this. What's your standard, God's standard or yours? And if you feel a level of conviction about that, I'd encourage you, repent. Like if you're walking this way and treating people with oppression and injustice and you see that about yourself, then turn around and walk towards Jesus. He forgives you and he will help you, right? And so this is not something you can do on your own. We can't build straight lines. We just can't. But with God's help, we can. We can handle things that come our way and people and differences and different backgrounds and political aspirations and all that jazz. We can, with God's help, change and walk with justice and mercy and kindness in this world. But it's not going to happen if we just go, well, um, this is my standard. No, look at God's standard. Father, forgive us. Your sons and daughters, we've lived way too long in comfort and luxury. We drink our bowls of wine. We call for drinks and live in nice homes throughout the valley. And there's nothing wrong with good things, but when we look past the marginalized and the oppressed, when we ignore the needy and the broken, when we don't care about the marginalized, and we tell people to suck it up and get a job. We don't see individuals, but instead we see stereotypes. We tend to mistreat and oppress and promote the things that keep people struggling. And you're calling us, you're inviting us into your justice and righteousness, and to experience your goodness and love, your grace and your truth, and as we experience it, to distribute that to other people. So where our life is not aligned to your plumb standard, we ask for your forgiveness. Where our lives are out of whack and broken, because we've treated family or friends or workplace people, people in our community unjustly change us. We need you. Please help us to the end that we might build a family, a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, that your justice would come down like a mighty ocean and your righteousness would flow like a never failing stream from us to our coworkers and schoolmates to our world, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, we need you, help us. In Christ's name, amen.